0: Good, I'd like to ask for your attention. Beginnings and foundations are crucial. So, some of you have lots of experience, some of you have little experience, and some of you are new here. So, let me start at the beginning. We are training a form of attention and This attention is the raw material for something Buddhist psychology calls mindfulness. Mindfulness and attention are two different things. Mindfulness depends on attention, but attention alone is not yet mindfulness. However, any attempt to train the quality of mind that we look forward to have more available of, We need to start with attention. So we need to learn how to direct attention. Okay. Good. I hope this is any better. Yeah, I'm grateful for signs. We need to fine tune this, and sometimes I stand, and sometimes I move this thing. I don't hear actually what it does, so I depend on your signs. Yeah. So attention. Attention is finite. Yeah, like time. Thus, it is important that we make decisions. Uh, What gets this attention? There is an economy of attention, and there is many clever, skilled people out there, highly paid, to capture your attention. And this is the currency that is, in many ways, more precious than money, even. So, as much attention as something or somebody can get that is a direct asset for this person, or this product, or this uh, event... So there are things that try to capture our attention in our lives. The same happens in our own inner lives. There are bits of our experience, bits of our psychology that capture our attention. And it's necessary that we find out where our attention goes. Before we can have greater say in where this attention goes, we need to find out where it already goes. We don't need to manufacture attention. Attention is already manufactured in your uh, experience, but it is probably preoccupied, or it needs to be more clear where it is most usefully invested. So meditation consists of two exercises. One exercise is to learn to identify areas of your experience that are good tools to steady your attention. Generally, this is not very difficult. It's parts of your body experience, it's parts of your breath. Um, mostly these two. So that's the declared exercise. We have a declared exercise which says you feel the breath and you stay with the change in sensations of the breath. So that's part of the exercise. The other part is that you, while trying to do this, you will meet considerable resistance of your mind to do this. You will meet considerable deviations from that declared exercise. And it's important that you don't use what you find out about where your attention already goes, that you don't use this against you. So in the spirit of last night, promises about not making statements about yourself, remember? In the spirit of that, I uh, would like to bring to your attention now that Half of your exercise will be to find out where your attention habitually already goes. That is part of meditation. It's not what stops you from meditating. It's part of meditating. Finding out what annoys you, what you like, what preoccupies you, what frightens you, what you fantasize about. Obviously these things are not helpful. For, what we, for, for the other part of our exercise, namely to steady continuity of our capacity to attend to something. Even though they're not directly useful for that part of our exercise, they're very useful for our self-knowledge, finding, about, finding out more about ourselves. Yeah? So don't disregard what appears to be obstacle. Don't disregard what appears to be that which is difficult to surmount. Don't disregard what makes you fail in actually staying with your breath or staying with your body sensation. Yeah. Am I clear? It's important that there is that you value not the distraction, but that you that you value finding out what kind of distraction that gets you, and what particular type of distraction your mind habitually favors. Only when you notice what you already do, do you have a chance to find out how much happiness or how much misery you get out of this. And unless you're clear that your habits are not useful habits in terms of happiness, freedom and understanding, only then are you really Inclined to let go of some of these habits. So don't try to boss yourself into samadhi or to browbeat yourself into mindfulness. Find out where it goes and steadily, carefully bring back your attention to the exercises I suggest. So, having said that, let me start at the back, at the base. This is a blessing we owe to the Japanese tradition. Theoretically, this should contain K-pop. It doesn't feel like it does, actually, but nevertheless, these things like to be pummeled. So if you have one of these and you sit one of these, do pummel it. After you sit, pummel the thing. It should get a a nice loft. That's the idea of this. And then you're using these cushions. Mine is a bit smaller here and of a different brand. You're using this to basically not sit on top of, the idea is not to upholster your sitting experience, but the idea is to use it as a wedge, yeah? so that it helps you sitting in a way that with minimal effort of your uh, back muscles, you can sit upright and you distribute your weight not just on your sacrum, but actually on parts of your leg. Yeah? Obviously if you have more dexterity in your legs, particularly in your hips, then it will be more easy to flat to lay the legs flat on the mat and to give you some sort of ideally a triangular basis. So make sure you take enough of those cushions. You can you can uh, accumulate <coughs> it. So there's plenty of cushions up there in the back room, as you may have noticed, and just take enough of those cautions, you can put two on top of each other to make sure that your hips are slightly raised. This one is a particularly flat uh, specimen, so I'm not sure whether this is a good example. The, the higher you are, the less tension is on your thigh muscles. Yeah. So if you want to wait till your thigh muscles gradually relax, which will happen over the years and decades, um, help yourself in the beginning with raising your pelvis with more cushions. That makes less tension on your leg. and uh, It is the shortening of these muscles that generally pulls the knee. So the knee is the first place that hurts. That's not because the knee needs training. The knee actually doesn't need training. Every, every uh, orthopedic uh, doctor will tell you that you don't train your knees. You train your muscles. It's the shortness of your thigh muscle that basically gives the pull which then makes the knee hurt so if you want to train anything train your pelvic dexterity and train your thigh muscles and until then use the cushions use the cushions you can kneel on them this is a very time honed practice very good because it saves the weight goes on your cushion rather than onto your joints it's also the only really symmetrical posture to be honest all the other postures are slightly asymmetrical And depend that you change your legs. So if you sit cross-legged or if you sit what we call Burmese uh, posture this way, make sure you change your legs. One side will always be better than the other, but make sure you do the worst side. You practice the worst side as well. It's important because there's a slight imbalance even as you sit that way. And it's good that once every hour you change this imbalance into... Um, the imbalance on the other side. If you sit on a chair, make sure you have something underneath your feet. Make sure that you uh, sit upright, you don't slouch into the backrest. If you're using the backrest, you may need to prop up that backrest with a cushion. Um, If you sit underneath the window, make sure you're not in the draft. If you're on some other contraption, sitting benches, make sure that your ankles are Fine, uh, sometimes it helps if you kneel, but you put something underneath your ankle here that releases the te- the tension you yeah? so if it 's flat there's a tension if it 's not flat then it 's easier on your thighs and uh, if you have parts of your leg falling asleep while you sit, the first thing is not to not to really be all too concerned about this. there is no no danger to your health. You can sit for hours with the leg falling asleep without uh, risking much more than getting up and not noticing and falling on your nose. That's about the worst that can happen. Uh, if, you, if your legs fall asleep, it's not the blood circulation that is cut off, as you may suspect. It is simply a pinched sciatica nerve usually because your sitting contraption is too hard or your cushion is too hard or you have a fold in your trousers. Yeah. So you do not actually have to think that you're risking your leg or so when it falls asleep. Yeah. It is slightly uncomfortable and it is definitely dangerous if you don't notice this when you get up and uh, don't have any Sensation, but it is not actually very dangerous. I've been doing this for 30 some years and I've never had anybody with big difficulties about a leg falling asleep. So it's generally a psychological issue when you think this is stopping you from meditation. And physiologically, what it usually takes is a different cushion, a little more softness um, in, in, in your buttocks area because that's where the sciatica nerve basically presses against. The, uh, the iliac bone. Much of meditation is a mental effort. And like all long-term efforts, um, we need to gird ourselves with patience, basically. Um, much of what you get in meditation is not the result of a technique or of a method. It is the result of your life. Yeah? What you get when you come and sit here is you get your life. Yeah. Your life catches up with you. So, irrespective of the technique you want to apply, first and foremost, you get an echo of what's happening in your life. It will meet your habits. Yeah. And you will have to respectfully acknowledge to some degree, and uh, part of this is usually not flattering, you, you will need to acknowledge of what's going on in your life. That means how you respond habitually, sleepiness, restlessness, anger, boredom. Yeah? These will be habitual psychological responses. And the content, the themes of the things that come up in your mind will also have something to do with your life. So be prepared that part of this retreat will be not about what I'm saying or about Buddhist meditation techniques or about inspiring insights, it will be about the insights of what's going on in your life. And you need to value that. The great thing about the retreat is, we're not even retreating, we're just stopping. We're just stopping and allowing our lives to catch up with us. Usually our vision for a retreat is we come here and we do something big, different, yeah? Which we gain some strength, powerful insights, exalted states, which we then take back into our lives and make our life that make our lives somehow better. But much of retreat is about actually picking up what's already going on in our lives and sifting, you know? acknowledging, deepening our awareness of this. And then within that, uh, I hope to incite you to do some exercises with your minds and your awareness. Uh, and uh, some of your attitudes that help you respond more deeply to what's going on in your life. There is a capacity of the human mind that is capable of profound stillness and of profound insights, profound happiness, profound sense of connection, beyond what we can think of, definitely beyond what we can think of. So, uh, some of that may be obvious to you, some of that will become obvious to you, and some of that will not at first become obvious. So I'll ask your patience, particularly your patience with yourself, and I would like you to stay your friends in this. In fact, you know, whatever I'll say, you know, whatever we'll do, if you're not willing to be a friend in your, in, in your own experience to that which happens in yourself, then this will be painful. Yeah? If you're going to hate what you experience, if you're going to judge what you experience, if you're going to be bitterly critical, acrimonious, resentful of what you experience, then you will make this uh, much more unhappy uh, an exercise than it can be. Yeah? So I'd like you to invite to, to invite yourself to be kind. Yeah? Whatever happens, you're going to befriend it. That doesn't mean you're consenting or you're agreeing with what's happening but you are not going to be hostile towards yourself. Can we agree on this? Can I have another promise on this? Good. Okay. Um, All meditation students have understood that we uh, are embodied and the body is a fantastic area of our experience, in which we have the the guarantee that our attention is anchored in the present tense. So all meditation traditions I'm familiar with suggest that we learn to steady and focalize our attention on experiences of the body. Uh, Buddhist uh, exercises make no exemption of this, and in fact Kaya Nupasana is the first of the great areas in which we hope to establish mindfulness. So, body experience is the first focus where we go with our mind. Kainupasana traditionally has six branches. The first one is Iriyapatha posture. So, we go through postures. You have noticed we ritualize our life here. The way we walk, the way we sit, the way we eat, the way we. Some of you may bow, some of you may chant. We stand up, we sit down, we stretch. All this stuff we do in a sort of ritualized way. One of the ways that makes us more aware of what we do is by slowing down, simply by slowing down. Much of what escapes our attention escapes our intention because things are fast. The faster they go, the more we lose the detail of an experience. And conversely also, the faster something goes, the more solid It appears. So one of the great reasons why people are encouraged to slow down their experiences and attending to things in slow motion is because in the slow motion of our attention we acknowledge transitoriness of experience much more. The faster something goes, the more solid it experiences. Many people... Non-meditating people will probably identify their experience with their thinking, just because they think fast. It looks like there is nothing else there but thinking. Yeah. If the frequency of your thought increases, they look more like a solid wall. If you see the thoughts individually arise and disappear, then you don't actually believe into the solidity of thinking. Your experience of body is a procession of individual sensations arising and ceasing. If you have meditative experience of that, you will know. You can feel right into your eardrum or into your cells. You will notice exquisite changes in, throughout your body as it breathes, as it sits. The more closely you pay attention when you sit still, the more you will notice that you never really sit still. There's always something moving. But usually our habitual attention doesn't really do much justice to this. Our habitual attention just skims the surface and goes for a few cues. You know. Knee, tension, breath, <laughs> yeah, and then that's it. If we stay with the breath, we notice, ah, this begins. You know, it increases, it intensifies, it climaxes, it goes slightly. Uh, it fades gradually. You know, it releases, it stops. After having tapered off, there's a pause and it begins in So we're trying to slow down and focus on posture, how the body feels when we sit down. I suggest you do that for a couple of minutes every time you sit down, every time you take up a posture, particularly when sitting. You spend a few moments just sampling what is actually that I can feel of this body right now you check, left side, right side, where does the weight go? Is it warm? Is it relaxed? Is it tense? Where is it tense? Where is it relaxed? And Then you settle on the breath. So, the crucial thing with breath and with body is generally we do feel for a moment and very shortly after we have a felt sensation and we have acknowledged that felt sensation, we conceive of that sensation. In other words, what was a warm, fuzzy feeling pulling into my knee becomes the word knee, and then I start to think of knee, and then I have an inner image of knee, and then my attention is no longer with the felt experience, but it is my concept of knee. And you will need to make a distinction between attending to an actual process of feeling and attending to the concept of a knee or of a warm feeling. Yeah? So you will, you will probably find out that the mind very quickly jumps from the immediate preverbal felt quality to a conceived, visualized, conceptual quality. That's not just bad. In our everyday life that can help us quite a lot to, to save time. Unfortunately, it's very inaccurate, and unfortunately, it doesn't help us to steady our attention truly on a process in a way that would lead to understanding that process more deeply. It's just a shortcut. If you have a file, or if you have a folder, you basically just skim the labels of the folders. You never actually go into the file. That's that type of attention. Now, we want to go into the file, so just skimming the labels of the folders doesn't do the job good for this morning I would like you to uh, spend a good moment of your time acknowledging body qualities body qualities we have not many names for be aware of that That we, we can feel a lot more than we have names for when we sit here um it's a very striking discrepancy between our capacity to feel qualities of body and to have names for them. Bodies are capable of exquisite refinement in their perception, their exquisite fineness in their sen- sensory awareness, exquisite sh- fi- refinement in the differing shades And yet, our names for that are quite um, cursory. We say warm, we say cold, we say relaxation, we say tension. But there are exquisite textures of body uh, quality which will only start to become tangible if we are willing to be patient, if we're willing to go beneath the label of that quality, if we're willing to... Hover in a pre-verbal space. So I'd like you to inhabit your bodies. I'd like you to be feeling things that may be not dramatic. And fathom edges, fathom depth. Feel connections. Bodies have dimensions. One dimension is the flat quality. It's the surface quality. It's extension, what Buddhist teaching calls the earth element. Resistance and extension. So, this body makes contact with the earth. It makes contact with its clothes. It makes contact with the cushion. It makes contact with itself. That's the sort of surface quality of body. That's generally the one we feel most easy. Yeah? Neurologically, we have nerve cells that work with physical pressure that get triggered when there's physical contact. But there's another... Layer of body experience which doesn't have to do with skin. We can feel the body inside, differing degrees of density, differing degrees of texture, differing degrees of tension. We can actually feel the body within without touching it, so to say. Then this body has orientation. As a sitter, you have an orientation, it has a midline. This midline um, there's something about how you're oriented right from being a cluster of cells you know, shortly after conception. You know, this midline starts to appear and to organize you. Out of this midline grows a spine at some point. We're in folded space. Out of that enfolded space grows a heart. So, so if we sit here embodied and as postures, we, we can tune into that midline. We can organize ourselves as we sit around this midline. Because our bodies are organized around the midline. Just to feel, you know, there's a midline going somewhere from your forehead to your nose to your chin to your sternum to your navel to your pubic bone. Just to feel that. And then these bodies take space. I'm speaking of felt qualities. We can feel how much space our body inhabits. You know, this body takes a vo- has a volume. We're not just touch, or we're not just tension. We're actually holding space. This body is enfolded space. So that space, for example, you can get in touch with when you breathe. That space increases a little bit, and it relaxes a little bit with every breath. It increases a little bit, it relaxes a little bit. Then this body has rhythm. The most overt rhythm is that of the breath. And I'd like you to settle on that rhythm. Some people tend to do something to the rhythm so that the sensations of breathing becomes more tangible. So they force a little bit. Because it is forced, it is felt more clearly. Um, and that is reassuring, so I don't lose it so easily. You can do that, but I would not really recommend it because uh, the breath is at its best when you don't manipulate it. These bodies these bodies know how to breathe for a longer time. You know, they've learned that breathing business a lot longer than you've learned using your brain, for example. So there's something in us that can actually trust that we know how to breathe that these bodies know how to breathe. And then <clears throat> I'm speaking of something I would call Plan A, these are are exercises, and then there's Plan B. This is what happens when we find out that we're not doing the exercise. It is likely that you will find out that your mind dreams, plans, comments, judges, reminisces, uh, grumbles, uh, usually in more or less conceptual ways. And when you find out that your mind is doing this, or that your attention is resting on one of these processes... Then plan B kicks in. Plan B says, I'm going back to plan A. I'm going back to what my declared exercise is. First 15 minutes, feeling the body and then settling my attention on the part of my breathing that is most obvious to me. So plan B is equally important. Plan B is not, uh, damn it, lost it again, got to whip myself harder, uh, back to the barracks. And you know, proceed in a more tough pace. that's not plan B. Plan B is say, "Oh, this is a thought. Well, obviously I've been riding this thing for the last ten minutes. Uh, thank God I noticed uh, <clears throat> why don't okay. I get off? You, know? you let your thoughts gallop away, and you return your attention to your declared area of exercise. If it is still within the body, scanning in the first fifteen minutes, fine. If you're already on the breath, you just go back to the area of breath you have decided is the most tangible, the most easily uh, felt in your immediate experience. And you return your attention there. You You don't need to stop the thought. You don't need to uh, expunge the fantasy. You don't need to kill off the memory. All you need to do is to simply make use of your freedom to direct your attention. You remove the attention from what has distracted you from your exercise, from Plan A, and you affirm Plan A by bringing back your attention. I know this sounds a lot easier than it is. I'm sorry for this. I would like to have it different if I could. Unfortunately, I can't. So, that's my suggestion for this morning. We'll do some of this, then we'll do some standing, and then I'll say something about walking, then we'll go and walk. Yeah? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.